Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 128, and we are continuing a series through the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 2 today, and we are learning pastoral lessons from Jesus. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Enjoy drinking some coffee with me if you're watching this live. I've got my Whitetail Buck coffee mug here, and I've got my Black Rifle Coffee Company. Just one second. That's good. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll continue learning pastoral ministry from Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time. I ask for blessing upon this, I don't know, the next few minutes. I pray that you'd be help me to be helpful to these pastors and anybody else that's listening in, and help me to be faithful to your word. As we're considering 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and the Gospel of John, and just looking at the life of Jesus, I pray that this would be immensely helpful, seeing how we are to pastor people. We want to learn from the chief shepherd, we want to learn from the good shepherd, and we trust God that you're going to help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, I'm not going to go over the Shepherd's Crook Intensive again today, but I would just ask you to consider coming. Uh, you can find the link to that in the show notes. Would love for you to be with us at the Intensive. It's just a fun trip. Would love for you to be there. So check that out when you can, follow that link. also want to give a shout out to my wife, uh, Jordan Sparks, and Lexi Sauve, her friend, our friend of Brian and Lexi. They have a really great podcast called The Fruitful and Fearless Podcast. If you don't know about that, if your wives don't know about that, I would encourage you to check that out. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes as well. They've got a great podcast that's got a lot more listeners than, than this podcast, and it's just phenomenal about uh, biblical femininity and being a pastor's wife. Just a lot of really great content that I think you'll enjoy. So you might want to check that out, really want to check that out. Again, just follow that link that's at the bottom of the page. Okay. What we're doing, again, just as a reminder, if you weren't with us last week, we're breaking up the notion that there's somehow a conflict. People do this with Jesus and Paul all the time, and it's really foolish. The red letter folks, I mean, all of the Bible is red letter. It's all God's word. There isn't a distinction of lesser or greater inspiration. The, The Bible is equally inspired across the board from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when we look at pastoral ministry, we get pigeonholed a lot of times, especially right now in 2020 and 2021, where People you know, want to say, I agree with the pastors that are standing with God's word. It's just the way they're doing it. They're just being mean. Just talked to Tom Maskell about this last week. I've got an interview that's going to be dropping with him. And he gets this all the time. I've gotten this all the time. Man, it's not just the, it's not what you're saying. It's just the way that you're saying it. And certainly, I've got to check in myself and make sure that I'm not being uh, obnoxious or annoying with the truth. Certainly don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm being Christ-like, and I want zeal for the house of God, zeal for the place in which the presence of God dwells to consume me like Jesus, because I want a pastor like Jesus. And so just to clear anything up that could be um, confusing, Jesus would not be disqualified from pastoral ministry according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and, and Titus chapter 1. He is pastoral ministry personified. He is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the head of the church, and we just we want to learn from him. So as we look through the Gospel of John, you could do this with the Gospels as well, like I said last week, we learn about pastoral ministry in such a beautiful way. So we're in John chapter 2 today, and there are two really great stories in John chapter 2 that show exactly what I'm talking about here. So we can look at the wedding at Cana and learn pastoral ministry from Jesus about how to be compassionate, how to be tender, how to be caring, how to be kind, how to care about things that other people care about, and how to give credit to other people, 
Even if you've done the work, you don't have to receive all the credit. I was preaching this, John chapter 2, as I was preaching to this book a couple years ago, and my friend Cody became a Christian on this day. I'll never forget it. I was preaching this, and you know, it's, it's really great. There's a really great gospel theme and thread that just goes through John 2, specifically the wedding, because Jesus does his work in a discretionary manner, and then he gives it the credit of the work to the underprepared, ill-prepared man, the bridegroom, who did none of the work, and he gets all the praise and the credit. We see it in verse 10, or in verse 9, when the head waiter called the bridegroom and then gives him the credit for the good wine, and everybody's celebrating, and you know, you imagine that that bridegroom's like, wait, I have no idea, I didn't do this, (laughs) like, I didn't have this good wine, and his family's looking around like, we didn't buy this, and Jesus did it and gave him the credit, and I remember Cody came up, and we prayed, and he repented and cried out for Jesus to save him. It was an amazing day. But if we look at this, we look that uh, just in the first few verses, if you look at uh, the first few verses, there's there's a crisis. They have no wine. And then Jesus' mama came to him and said, you know, will you do something about this? And Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with this? My hour has not yet come. So this was not going to be a public work yet. It wasn't going to be a public work. It was going to be a private work. And so he, he takes the six stone water pots. You guys know this, know the story. They filled the pot, water pots up with water, and then it's turned into wine. And when the head waiter tasted, this is verse 9, the water which, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants had called, uh, who, who had known, who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people had drink, drunk freely, then serves the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in the Cana of Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. And after this, he went to Capernaum, he and his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So as we look at this, we want to do, again, our work in the manner in which Jesus did. So that means we're going to be tender with people that are in our family, like with our mother. He was tender with his mother. Other times he was strong with his his brothers and kept them outside of his work while his brothers were thinking, man, Jesus is crazy. I mean, you guys know that. In this moment, he was kind with his mom and with this wedding feast, and he cared. And so he did something about it. He didn't make it public. He just does the work, gives the credit to, again, the underprepared bridegroom, and his disciples believed in him. And we want to walk in the way of our master Jesus. We don't have to let everybody know that we've done the work. We don't have to let everybody know that we mowed the yard at the church building or that we did this or that. We can do our work with discretion and then leave it at that. We don't have to go vying or fishing for compliments. You know, like, hey, do you know that I did this? Who cares? Do your work. Even let other people get the credit for it. Be kind and compassionate when the moment requires kindness and compassion. Because we want to, again, be like Jesus. But in this same chapter, I don't want to say but, like to underemphasize what I just said. And, let's say and instead. Often the word we need is and rather than a but, because a but when we say, okay, but look at this, it's it's de-emphasizing what we just said. So, and is a whole lot better. So, now, and, let's look at the character of Jesus on the flip side of John chapter 2. And in verse 14, we find out something was happening. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at the table. Now, this is his moment. He doesn't come with kindness and compassion and discretion. He was anything but discretionary in this moment. So he walks outside and he makes a scourge of cords, a whip. 
he takes time to weave cords together, leather cords, and he just meticulously makes this cord. He doesn't go buy a cord. He doesn't go to you know the back and pop the trunk and get the cord that's in the back. He has to make one. This is calculated. He's able to think about this. He's able to process this. He's able to say, Heavenly Father, is this what you're having me do? He's able to be wise. And he's always following his Heavenly Father. In fact, he's doing nothing that the Father is not commanding him to do. And so he has zeal for his Father's house. We find this later on in the chapter. Zeal for his Father's house, the place in which the presence of God dwelled, consumed Jesus. Okay? It consumed him. The place of God's presence. So what does Jesus do? He makes this whip, and then he goes in. He drives them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the coins from the money changers. They didn't even have time to grab their money. I mean, he's coming in hot. If they don't have time to grab the money bags, that means he's coming in and he's swinging and he's doing his thing. And my goodness, people could say, hey, man, Jesus, that's great that you have zeal for your father's house. But really, do you need to go in there so quickly that you're driving these guys out and they don't even have their, their income anymore? They left their money there. And what Jesus does, he comes and pours it all out. They don't even know whose is whose. And so he picks up this whip, does his thing, pours out the coins of the money changers, and then takes their table physically with his hands, the tables, and flips these tables over, end over end, all throughout the temple. Now, talk about lack of discretion. Talk about zeal for his father's house. Now, in verse 16, here's what we hear. Those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away, stop making my father's house into a place of business. That's what he was angry about. They were turning the place of God's presence, his father's house, into a place of business. Now, friends, we look at evangelicalism today. Zeal for the place of God's presence should consume us. You know what, guys? I forgot to turn this light on over here, and my face is all shadowy. Let's see here. There we go. Look at that. I'm trying to get this video thing down. It's kind of hard to do. And so when we look at the people of God, because the people of God are the temple of God today. We don't have a temple. There's not going to be a rebuilt temple. Temple, Sorry, dispensational listeners. We are the people of God, the temple of God. Okay, we, we have been built by God. Brick by brick, we're being built. We're living out as living sacrifices. And we have the very presence of God within us. And when we, the shepherd of the sheep, see the place where God's presence dwells turned into a place of business, zeal for our Father's house should consume us, for goodness sake. It should. When we see corruption with the people of God, it should bother us. It should really bother us. Zeal should consume us. So when we see the church being what the church shouldn't be, when we see the church turned into what Big Eva is becoming, when we see things turned into like this big economic machine, it should bother us. We should turn over some tables, okay, even if it's metaphoric. We should be being banned on Facebook or people in the church in Christendom should think, man, you're being pretty bold here. You're not, man, where's the discretion for goodness sake? And if people aren't asking you, where's the discretion? You're probably not turning over tables. And again, pastors, are we not wanting to learn pastoral ministry, not from modern niceness, not from the cultural expectations and demands of the day, even within Christianity? Shouldn't we want to turn to Christ and look at passages like John chapter 2 and say, I want to be like that. 
Now, every Christian listening in should want to be Christ-like. This is not exclusive to pastors. We're just taking a very specific and particular angle here and saying, we want a pastor like that. What we see Christ doing, that's what we want to do. And so, pastor, I want to ask you, are you being more, you know, like, if you're going to error, err on the side of being totally Christ-like, not minimizing the character of Christ to the first part of John chapter 2 or to the second part of John chapter 2. Again, if we're all just one aspect of Christ's character, then we're walking in disobedience. But we should be both. We should know when we're going to be kind, like to Jesus' mom. We should know when we're going to use discretion and, and work in secret and work hard in secret and let other people get the credit. And then when the time demands, like right now, in this cultural moment, to turn over some tables, we've got to be willing in a calculated manner to go make that whip of cords, to be meticulous to put that and weave that leather together and go in and look around and say, you know what, it's time to clear clear house. And I don't care if the money changers are mad at me. I don't care if the re- religious uh, you know, higher-ups are mad at me. I don't care if Big Eva looks at me strangely and thinks, huh, this is weird. Don't you know that you're lacking discretion and you're not being Christ-like? As you put your hands on the table, as you grab the metaphoric whip, And as you grab the money bags and say, not in my father's house, not today, no way, you're not going to turn the people of God, the church of God into a den of robbers. Get out of my father's house. And as they look at you strangely walking out the door, sending you accusatory emails, calling you names, slandering you on the internet, you know, I'm humbly, humbly trying to walk in the footsteps of my master. Friends, we want to learn pastoral ministry from Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're watching this live, share this with your friends. Leave a rating. Please subscribe if you're watching on Gab TV. And if you're listening to the audio, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Send this to pastor friends. To I mean, if you're a layperson, thanks so much for listening. If you're men, I know we've got a lot of men that are listening in. Men, be like this. If you're not a pastor, be like Jesus. Have zeal for your father's house consume you. Have the kindness of Christ upon you. Be discretionary when you need to be discretionary. And then make a whip of cords when you need to make a whip of cords and be like Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.